We wanted to thank you for taking time to listen to our complex philanthropy conversation today. We're going to give you a better understanding of the possibilities of being able to give away assets that are oil and gas related. My name is Mark Hagan. I work for UBS Financial Services. I've been in the business for 28 years and been with this firm since 1999. Currently, I run the charitable planning part of our practice at UBS. I have a chartered advisor and philanthropy designation. I am certified as a financial planner on the team and I also work as an investment consultant for foundations and endowments here at UBS. On an outside activity, I'm the founder of a nonprofit called Emily's Place. We're a faith-based ministry that serves survivors of domestic violence here in the Collin County area. Today, we're joined by Michael King and Joel Smyre with National Christian Foundation. Joel guides National Christian Foundation North Texas as its founding president and general counsel. Prior to that, Joel was a partner in Fort Worth Law Firm, where he practiced law in various areas of civil litigation. Joel graduated from Baylor University and Baylor University School of Law, and he's married to Laura, and together they have six incredible children. Michael King is a charitable gifts and estate tax attorney for NCF and has been with those guys since 2006. Prior to NCF, Michael spent 10 years with an international tax and accounting firm and a multifamily office. Michael received his undergraduate degree in finance from Penn State and his law degree from UCLA School of Law. Michael and his wife, Tammy, these guys are high school sweethearts and have five amazing children. Great to have both of you guys back on again. Since 1982, National Christian Foundation has come alongside generous families and individuals, as well as their advisors, and they've been doing that to help them to send more than $15 billion in recommended grants to over 70,000 churches, Christian ministries, and other charities. And with regards to non-cash gifts, which we're talking about here today, NCF has completed $4.5 billion of non-cash gift assets, a total of over 2,700 complex asset gifts. These guys wrote the book on this space, in my opinion, and we're honored to have them here today to talk about the oil and gas space. So, fellas, Texas, as we know, living here, has an amazing oil and gas history. Whether that ownership comes in the form of mineral interest ownership, which is royalty interest or working interest, or it's the actual land and real estate that is producing income from oil and gas, these assets offer a really unique opportunity for charitably minded families to consider as a gift. So Michael, you know, you guys have been doing this for quite a while. Why don't you tell me what you guys have been seeing as it relates to some of the conversations around giving these types of assets. We do know that there are three distinct asset types. You've got land, which is your surface rights, minerals, which are your subsurface rights, You've also got royalty interest and working interest. And so why don't you talk a little bit about those three areas as it relates to giving? Yeah, thanks, Mark. Uh, yeah, let me maybe just start in terms of some of the things that we're seeing, you know, with the uh, technological advancements in the oil and gas base with uh, fracking and, and shale. Um, one of the things that we've seen is a real expansion in terms of uh, there's, there's now numerous states that have very significant oil and gas operations, and that creates opportunities for the citizens of those respective states. I think I was reading something that there's actually 
20 or more states that have some level of increased oil and gas activity. So the, the general opportunities in this space have, have and probably will continue to expound in, in a significant way. So yeah, this is a, a very interesting space, uh, somewhat unique, not only in uh, the oil and gas interest itself, but how it interacts with the philanthropic world when owners of these types of assets want to make charitable gifts and leverage their giving through a complex asset gift like an oil and gas interest. Land, which is effectively the surface rights. So in other words, if they own all three of those component interests, the land, the royalty, and the working interest, they would need to give an, an, a, a proportionate interest in each of those. They don't necessarily need to give their entire interest. They can give what's called a fractional interest. So they could give a 10% interest, 25% interest, 50% interest. But whatever the interest they give, it's got to represent a, the same proportion of all three. So to, now, there are, yeah, so to yeah, rephrase that, if a, an owner had those interests and he wanted to just carve out the royalty interest, that's not possible here. He has to give an equal amount of whatever the ownership type is relative to that asset. Yes, that's correct. But let me let me clarify just a little bit. So they would need to do that in order to secure a charitable deduction. They could still make a gift like that, but they would basically forego a charitable deduction. The asset could legally be gifted and then whatever tax implications apply going forward would still play out. But they would not be they would not get a deduction, therefore most likely they're not gonna do it, right? Most likely. Correct. Okay. Maybe they yeah, would take then, that asset and decide to give that at death and make it a testamentary asset. In that context, in the testamentary context, there 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 may there's really no income tax implication. So it doesn't matter that they're not getting a charitable income tax deduction. So that could be an appropriate place to make a gift at that point, Mark. Joel, have you guys seen any issue when you're talking with families about this partial interest rule that uh, makes people a little anxious or are most of them able to work through it once you talk through the benefits and the actual details? The truth in Texas is, is that there has been, and this is, this is not generally the case, but I think it's fair to say that, that most of the mineral interests have already been transferred out of the surface, right? So in other words, a lot of the folks that we run into that own mineral interests, they don't own the surface. They own either these royalties that were given to them by Aunt Sally, or they are in the business of acquiring royalty assets and mineral interests, the, the, the working side. So it clearly matters to somebody who is a surface owner and also a mineral interest owner but a lot of times when folks come to us, they really have that one asset. They have either the royalty interest or the working interest or working and royalty, but very few that I've seen where it's the old rancher that comes in, they own all fee simple, they own both the surface and the royalties. That those are those are fairly rare, at least from from our perspective of what we've seen. Got it, got it. Michael, you had also mentioned earlier how some of the taxing of some of these are unique. And I know that particularly with royalty interest, those are exempt from generating a taxable event inside a charitable vehicle. Can you speak to that just a little bit? 
Yeah, it's one of the things, Mark, that make uh, these oil and gas interests so attractive from a charitable giving perspective is the fact that that royalty income that is generated uh, falls into an exception to what are referred to under the tax code as unrelated business taxable income. So typically when we think of a nonprofit organization, sometimes we refer to them as tax exempt, which in most cases is correct, but there are actually some forms of income that even a charity has to pay tax on, most notable of which is income that's derived from an operating trade or business. Now, the working interest that we had talked about constitutes an operating trade or business. So if a gift is made of a working interest and it's having earnings and profits, those earnings and profits will be subject to the unrelated business taxable income rules. But the royalty interests are considered a passive asset and are a specific exception under those unrelated business taxable income rules. So it's one of the reasons why those royalty interests in particular are so attractive from a giving perspective. Right. Let me ask you this. In the context of if a particular interest had some unrelated business uh, taxable income, is it too general to say that a lot of times that tax on that is less than if the individual owned it outright and were getting taxed on it because of the tax brackets within side of that vehicle? Yeah, that's a, a great question and observation, Mark. So interestingly enough, I would say probably the majority of charities would not want to take or receive a working interest. And in fact, in many of their uh, gift policies, they actually preclude and say, hey, we won't take working interests. And maybe for some charities that's appropriate, but a working interest can absolutely be an appropriate and leveraged gift. And part of the reason is, is exactly what you're hinting at. And that is the fact that even if the charity has unrelated business taxable income, if the charity structures that transaction appropriately, they can dramatically reduce the actual tax liability that the charity pays in comparison to what the giver would have paid. Without going into tremendous detail there, I'll say that the, the way that that's accomplished is if the entity is structured or the transaction is structured properly, the charity itself can capture a charitable deduction. In other words, if it takes the asset in, and then ultimately when that income flows through the cash, they receive the cash, they grant that out to another charitable organization, the receiving charity can receive a charitable deduction itself. And properly structured, they can do that up to 60% of the total income, which correspondingly reduces the effective tax rate by 60%. That provides a significant benefit, but you want to really make sure that any charity that you're dealing with understands how to structure those appropriately. Or otherwise, like you're also hinting at, Mark, if there was no additional tax benefit, it may not be something that would really be a leveraged transaction and therefore may not be appropriate to do if it's not properly structured. Got it. That's helpful. So when families have these type of assets, uh, my experience being in the business is there's usually two ways they're interested in gifting some of these assets. Sometimes it's to their private foundation that they have. And sometimes it's to a public charity. Would you articulate the difference between those two? 
One of the things to be very careful about whenever you're dealing with complex asset gifts like business interests, real estate, oil and gas interests, giving such assets to a private foundation has some real restrictions. Typically, your deduction is going to be limited to your basis in that asset, what you paid for that asset. And if there was depreciation or something, that would reduce the basis further. In most cases, what we want is a fair market value deduction. And in order to secure a fair market value deduction, the gift needs to be made to a charity that has public charity status. A lot of the organizations that facilitate these gifts are community foundations and donor advised funds. And both of those are considered public charities. So you want to be very careful and thoughtful about the charitable entity that's receiving this type of gift. Now, the one thing that I will say, Mark, is if you had a giver that wasn't concerned about the charitable deduction, either because they don't typically itemize their deductions, or perhaps they're giving at such levels that they're not able to fully utilize their deduction anyway, the gift of, in particular, royalty interest could still be attractive even to a private foundation, as long as they understand they're not going to get a charitable deduction, because the avoidance of the tax on that royalty income occurs whether it's in a private foundation or a donor advised fund or other public charity. Thanks for that, Michael. That's very helpful. So, Joel, why don't you give us a couple of real world scenarios of some of the of a royalty interest gift or working interest gift and some of the things that you guys were working through with the families as you were able to accomplish their gifting intent? You know, the big picture here is we're talking about the charity who am I giving it to, you know, this discussion is where the receiving charity is not an end user charity. It's not Harvard University or Baylor undergrad or Baylor University. It's actually another charitable tool, whether it's a private foundation, a donor advised fund. And, and so these, these tax rules, how do they apply to a charity that is uh, a donor advised fund? And that's, as we were talking about, a little bit before to have this kind of flexibility for a family where they can they can move assets into a charitable space but it's not yet to harvard or to the red cross allows for wealth advisors like you and others that are advising the family to be able to have a lot of tools in hand to accomplish family objectives as well as 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 charitable objectives and so Specifically, royalty interest, what's attractive, Michael mentioned that, you know, as royalty interest, if they're held by a donor advised fund instead of the family, then those royalty payments are tax free to charity, but it's ordinary income to the family. So that's that's a big differential, uh, you know, going from the 37 plus percent tax bracket down to zero when we are talking about charity owning a royalty interest and and that that passive income component so from a practical perspective what we've seen is families really looking at making gifts of active royalty interest you know we don't i don't see very many if it's a, if it's a well it's not really producing we don't see so much of that activity of giving mineral interests that aren't actively under lease and actively being worked. Mostly it's when, hey, all of a sudden I'm starting to get this mailbox money. 
prices are up. I don't really want it to hit my balance sheet. I'd much rather, or my tax, my 1040, I'd much rather give it away. That's where putting into a private foundation or a donor advised fund can be very, very beneficial because we're basically capturing that cash flow at the right time in the history of that asset. So that's one note. Is it typically we're talking about making gifts of charitable uh, or making gifts of royalty interests that are actually active and actually producing? Same thing can be said about working interests. Whereas, and oftentimes the nature of the working interest is one that charity's not receiving the working interest itself. Typically what they're receiving is ownership in some sort of a wrapper entity, maybe a single member LLC where mom and dad, the managers of that working interest have all the control and have the decision-making on that operating well from day to day. And essentially, their giving fund owns non-voting interest in the entity that drives the working interest. And, and in that kind of an arrangement, it, it, it's good for limiting liability. Charity has to be a little bit concerned. It's one thing to own a royalty interest that's all passive and just mailbox money, whereas a working interest has liability. And it has some environmental exposure and the like. And so charities, the the... the private foundation, if it can, and typically this is more on the public foundation side, has to be careful about how that working interest is structured with respect to the right control on the side of the steward, whereas most of the what the, the, the donor advised fund is doing is just passive in that, not voting, not direct control. And then get the benefits, as, as Michael was talking about, uh, in that situation of, of being able to reduce taxation from what that working interest income would be on the family's 1040 as compared to now what is, even with taxation, what's the working interest implication for our charitable fund, which is much less than it would be in the hands of the family. That's great. That's great. And obviously, outside of the charitable intent, the uh, tax benefits are a nice piece that go with that. And we know that after having spent a lot of time with both of you guys, that when families do give the asset, there are really a couple different ways they can have some tax benefits. If they give the asset and then they sell the asset inside of the charitable vehicle, in the business, we call that a double tax benefit. You get the deduction up front, and then you're not paying capital gains tax or ordinary income that comes out of that. And so that that's a powerful to have a double tax benefit uh, on, a, on one gift. You can also give and hold, and this actually is a triple tax benefit from the standpoint that you get the deduction and then any type of income that is generated with inside of that, you're not taxed on. And then at some point, if you ultimately sell the asset, you are not taxed on that. So there are multiple layers here that are beneficial, which really just means you've got more money to give away. It's very rare that we see that the tax conversation drives the uh, initial interest, but it is a nice uh, benefit as it relates to that. In the context of that, you guys have any final thoughts on some of these assets here that we've covered? Yeah, maybe just one final uh, comment, Mark, is sometimes we have families that have uh, an asset like an oil and gas interest, and, and they are generous. They, they'd like to give, 
but they say, hey, I can't really give this this whole asset away. I really need to have some kind of an income in my retirement years or for the rest of my life. And so there are ways to structure gifts, predominantly through charitable remainder trusts or charitable gift annuities that can provide a giver with an income stream for the rest of their life or a term period, still capture a charitable income tax deduction and the other types of tax benefits that we're talking about. Just another option or, or aspect of flexibility that can be built into this type of planning. So still being able to benefit from the family, being able to benefit some from the income or cash flow out of that asset, and then at some point benefit a charity versus feeling like once you give it away, you don't ever have access to it. That's not accurate. You There are ways to plan around that where you could still utilize some of the cash flow that's generated from that asset, even though it's in a charitable vehicle. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And do so in a very tax efficient manner. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you both today for spending some time again with me. I know this has gotten a few families and folks thinking about the incredible possibilities of gifting some of their oil and gas interests. If those that are listening would like to have a further conversation or you've got some general questions about your specific asset or assets, or just like some more information regarding some of the conversation today, you can email me at mark.hagan at ubs.com or call me directly 469-440-0604. Also, follow our series of podcasts in the Apple Podcast app or on Spotify. It's under the title Complex Philanthropy. We hope you have a good rest of your day and week. As a reminder, UBS is in no way affiliated with or endorses Emily's Place, Inc. Most oil and gas interests are not deemed securities, and we are not recommending securities to buy or sell or particular structures. UBS does not offer tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax attorney or CPA.